Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. We're going to build a train so big it can't be stopped. From the executive producers of Power. We got enemies eyeing us, cops clocking us. Comes the new season of Power Book 4, Force. Tommy Egan is the linchpin to breaking down all of these gangs. Egan's too dangerous to be left alive. Power Book 4, Force. Game over. Premieres Friday, September 1st, only on Stars and the Stars app. This episode of Red Inga is about English spinners. Since Graham Swan retired, England have tried 12 of them. Many are batsmen who bowl a bit. Some have just disappeared altogether. Some have become batsmen. So I got on someone who has just written a feature about this topic. Jeffrey Bunting, and I'm a graphic designer, a writer. That's all I do, really. <laughs> that's, that's my life. We discussed the treatment of Leach, the reality of how little England seems to understand nurturing spin, and we talk about Samit Patel and Don Bess and Moen Ali and Monty Panesar and Gareth Batty and the learn to bat advice. So I'm going to take you back to the last time England played in Sri Lanka, of which I was there, so I do remember it quite well. Jack Leach played quite well on that tour, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he bowled beautifully. <laughs> kind of after years of England not really having a spinner. It really felt like they found someone that, yeah, and, and it should be said that Mo and Ali bowled really well there as well. But it was one of the few times, I think, that I've really looked at him and gone, wow, that looks like a really balanced side. Because they had, like, real openers for the first time in a few <laughs> years. They had a real genuine wicketkeeper. And then they had Jack Leach, who, who looked a completely natural spinner. I think he took 18 wickets? Was it 21? 18, 21? Either way, a lot. <laughs> like, um, he took something around there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just looked brilliant and mm. just completely natural in those conditions in a way that England spinners normally don't mm. certainly if you think back to I think it was the year before was <laughs> when they played in India and everyone went at fours not to be too hyperbolic about it but it was really it's kind of a revelation at the time so that must have been the end of 2018 was it yeah, like kind of the last few months yeah, of so 2018. Yeah. It's hard to tell, obviously, because we now live in this other hellscape. Time doesn't exist anymore. So, <laughs> I suppose my point is, it wasn't that long ago. And then what mm. followed was 2019, where he saved England with the bat against Ireland. He kind of doesn't get any credit for that because he's either a batsman or an all-rounder and he's not. So that's yeah, okay. I think also because... You know, England absolutely flattened Ireland in the last innings. Like, yeah. Chris Wakes just destroyed them. So they kind of forget that 
92 by Jack Leach was the reason they were able to do that. But I, yeah, I also he, think when a bowler makes a score like that, I call it the Ashton Agar rule. It's like mm. if you genuinely think they're going to be an all-rounder, that is absolutely fine, and you can plan to bat them at number seven or number eight going ahead in the future. If you don't think they're an all-rounder, then it was a flukish innings, which happened once, and if his bowling isn't good enough, it doesn't matter because of that. He then also helped England again in Headingley, again with the bat. At that point, England are heading to New Zealand at the end of 2019. So basically, the global average just dropped off a cliff everywhere in the world, except for New Zealand, where they seem to put on more runs than they'd ever had in New Zealand before. He gets to New Zealand. Take me through what happens with Jack Leach in New Zealand. Well, obviously, they go to Mount Monganui, don't they? And a a place that has never had a test match before at this point. So there's no precedent for anything. And they get to what is really a pretty dead pitch. I mean, New Zealand, it helps the bowlers, but they tend to help the bowlers in the air rather than off the pitch mm. at times because they, they really like to just have these pitches where their batsmen can get 500 and then Tim Southey and Trent Bolt can come and mop up and Neil Wagner can just kill people, mm. which I think is, is important to set the seed against this partnership between Santner and Watling, which just pulverises England. I mean, it was a long time ago now, but I remember England batting okay in the first innings. They got to like 350 or something. You know, and Joe Denley did his, I'm going to bat for 150 balls for 30 thing. And then they start really well, as they often do with their quick bowlers. You know, they get, I think it was probably four quick wickets. And suddenly, Santa and Watling just dig in for two days. <laughs> Joffre Archer bowls 42 overs because Joe Root, I don't know, wants to kill him. Jack Leach does the same. I think I'm right saying that no one got close to those two in how many overs they bowled. I think Sam Curran was the next most overs, like 32 or something. And, you know, Jack Leach got a few wickets, but he did it for a lot of runs. But then so did everybody else. But as Mm. soon as that innings finished, and certainly once England kind of just fell apart in the last innings, a lot of people were kind of saying, well, this is Jack Leach's fault. He isn't developing. He isn't getting the wickets in the last innings, despite the fact there was no last innings for him. (laughs) New Zealand only had to bat once. And it came from the skybox, especially, you know, Rob Key, who I think kind of almost personifies Twitter in Sky Cricket. It's like it's something is either very good or it's very, very bad. A spinner who has been playing for a year at this point, because I thought that's the end of 2019, isn't it? Mm. So he's only been in Test Cricket for a year and he's probably got a better record than most spinners who have played for England for several years. Mm. Suddenly he's the scapegoat to this thing. No talk of really of the captaincy, apart from the fact, again, you know, Joe Root bowled Joffre Archer for 42 overs. And we can never forget that. <laughs> we can know one of the best bowlers that we have access to at the moment. And Joe Root's just tried so hard to ruin him. Mm. And the talk was kind of around the camp and in, around the punditry that, well, they're probably not going to play Jack Leach in the next test, which was going to be on another dead pitch. They're not going to play Jack Leach in the next. They're probably not going to play a spinner at all. And then the decision's kind of obviously taken out of their hands because he gets his fucking sepsis. <laughs> and, Really, genuinely, nearly dies. Yeah, but doesn't play, and still they're talking about Jack Leach because I think I'm right to say it didn't come out straight away that he was actually very gravely ill. Mm. It was almost kind of on the first day. It's like, well, he's been dropped, and they're playing five quick bowlers for some reason, and that was kind of it for the next year or so, a year and a half until now. He obviously got that horrible flu that was going around South Africa or the the team in South Africa. I should just say that the team now think they had COVID then. I don't think that's necessarily a um, a weird thing to say. I mean, we, I think there's a lot of doctors out there who are saying, look, there's been a lot of weird flus and pneumonia December 
2019 that probably was COVID. So it may well have been that COVID did sweep through the camp, which I think is worth saying that with Jack Leach with with Crohn's and on immunosuppressants, it's like getting things like any kind of infection, like even a cold is really bad for chronically yeah. ill people. Yeah. So to get sepsis and then at best a really horrible flu and at worst possibly, you know, the, the first inklings of COVID, you know, it was really dangerous for him. Yeah. And, you know, rightly, you know, he, he doesn't play in South Africa because I, I can't imagine he recovered from that very quickly. I mean, I don't think anybody did. No. So they picked Bess and Bess bowled really well. And so we come back to a diseased summer. Both of them are in the bubble. Some of that is supposed to be of, I guess, rotation. And you know, England don't really rotate their bowls at all in the end because they're just Anderson and Broader bowling quite well. And beat and Bess barely bowls. Leach doesn't play. And he, I think he bowled 52 overs in 2019, which is nothing. <laughs> like, what, what, is, 2020. 2020, that's what yeah. I've Again, time doesn't fucking exist anymore. Was it? But, you know, he bowls, he bowls 52 overs in a calendar year. And not because he's not good enough, but because he's been so unwell hmm. that he's unable to play essentially two tours. And then he's just not picked in the summer. But he's obviously kept in a, a long bubble. And even being out of the side is probably a really struggle for you know, most professional cricketers. But the reasons... The whole thing is really interesting with what has happened with him, which is why I wanted to start. Your article is not really about Jack Leach. It's about England mm. and, and spin bowling. But it's, it's so fascinating that it wasn't that long ago. So I thought Jack Leach was overhyped. And mm. I didn't think he was overhyped because he was a bad bowler. I think he could be, if used correctly, he could have a Stuart McGill-like record yeah. where you use him exactly when he needs to be used and you tell him, you're not going to play test in, test out. You might take eight wickets in a test and not play the next three tests, but we are doing that because we're going to use you exactly when it suits you. And if you look at his Somerset record, if you look at his international career so far, if you look at his record against left-handers, there's a lot of red flags there that you don't want him to be your permanent frontline spinner. Mm. But it doesn't seem like they ever had that conversation with him. And the yeah. New Zealand problems for me are them not understanding that that is what Jack Leach is and he's not suited to those kind of wickets and he's going to struggle in that. No spinners take wickets in New Zealand. I mean, it yeah. just... They pick Santner. Yeah. Who's a decent spinner. He's a very good one-day spinner, but in tests, he's not going to be like someone who takes eight wickets a game. No. He might give you one or two and he's going to be a bit of batsman, especially now they're picking four quick bowlers. Yeah. So they know, they understand that we don't really pick spinners to take wickets in... Oh, if we do, we're going to expect them to go for runs. Vittori was their last consistent spinner in New Zealand. Yeah, and then Santa's very much kind of off the Vittori mould, just maybe a better batsman, not good at bowl. But, you know, they'll pick yeah. someone like Patel as, oh, he's an attacking spinner. They were talking about that in their summer and ended up not because Carl Jameson just turned out to be the best bowler in the world suddenly. <laughs> but they wouldn't pick him with the expectation that he's going to take eight wickets a game and go at twos. They'd say, well, he might chip in with a few and he's probably going to go for runs, but the bulk of our work is going to be done by our quick bowlers. Yeah. So I think you're right, yeah. And England don't seem to plan that way. They just kind of go, well, we're supposed to play a spinner, aren't we? Yeah. So we'll play a spinner. And if he's not Graham Swan, then, well, that's his fault. So the Graham Swan thing's really interesting because in your piece you talk about that essentially since Swan, England have tried 12 spinners. And don't worry, I won't make you name all of them off the top of your head. Uh, but you said that seven of them made their debut after Swan. Three of them only played one test. I think also there is, and this happens so, so much in cricket, in a way that I think other sports, perhaps sports like football and American sports, are just slightly more mature when it comes to this. You cannot replace Graham Swan. 
because Graham Storm was a first-choice slip fielder. He opened the batting in limited overs cricket for North Ants. North Ants had Nottingham, maybe, but certainly North Ants at one stage, I think, didn't he? And then was a pinch hitter later on in his career as well. So he was a far better batsman than someone like Ashley Giles, for instance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And he was probably the best covered uh, wicket spinner that England Mm. has ever had. Yeah. You put all that together, they were lucky to get two of those in a good spinner, let alone have all of that available to them. And since then, there's been this sort of very confused hybrid of occasionally going towards what they think is the best spinner, but more often than not, looking for another Graham Swan type. So mm. Samit Patel, Liam Dawson, Zafar Ansari, we'll go into Mo and Ali in a minute, but there has been that feeling of, and Don Best is the latest one of this, is mm. we, we'll find someone who has good, I want to say, chutzpah, like almost like good spirit about him, who yeah. can hold a bat. And he's a competitive person. I think Don Best is a perfect example of this, in fact. And Liam Dawson, perhaps, and Savit Patel as well. They're obviously talented first-class cricketers. We're going to get them in to be there. They only have to be the fifth bowler because you have Ben Stokes, which is a huge advantage as well. Yeah. And then we're going to throw them in, and suddenly they're going to work, almost forgetting the fact that by the time Graham Swan was picked, his actual bowling was... I mean, I didn't think he should have got picked, but his actual bowling, when you look back on it, was absolute test quality bowling in a way that all the other names I've just mentioned are not. Yeah, and also, I mean, he played in 2001, didn't he? He played a one-day international, and then Duncan Fletcher went, I don't really like him, which I don't think was unusual for people around Graham Swan. (laughs) But he spent close to a decade in the first-class setup, and in a probably a much stronger first-class setup kind of despite the system that was in place, he kind of came out of nowhere almost. Everyone was kind of like, who the fuck is Graham Swan? And, you know, they probably seen him for a couple of 2020s for knots. But the feeling I get is that England had no contingency plan for when Swan left. And obviously he he retired quite suddenly, but he was still of that age where he was he was on his way out. In the way that, you know, they planned for life after James Anderson and Stuart Broad, they're looking at all these quick balls, but they never did that. They threw Simon Kerrigan in for one game while he was still around and that was it. And then suddenly Swan goes, it's like, I guess we play Scott Borthwick. I mean, is that a replacement? So there was no real kind of like, what are we going to do after Swan? Because he was that good. He was so good. And to both left-handers and right-handers, and obviously he's taken the ball away from left-handers as, as opposed to Leach, but he was just, as a bowler, never mind everything else he brought to the team, which was quite a lot, he was just really, really good. Yeah, And I think it's also about the team he was in, you know, Andrew Strauss's team was this this dry, starved the opposition type of bowling attack. And then you bring Swan in, who, yes, he's, you know, an economical bowler simply because he's just taking so many wickets. Whereas if you look at Vaughan's team, which was, we've got three quick, mean, fast bowlers, plus Hoggard, who was a very good swing bowler. Actually, Giles didn't need to do that. His job was just to sit there and stop bats from scoring by just bowling over the wicket. Thirty-eight. So it's about the kind of the makeup of the team and how they and Swan fit into that team perfectly in a way that probably Panasar didn't. Mm. No, definitely. I think you're right. Mm. And I just don't think they had any plan for what they just thought. Well, if we just get someone who can bat a bit <laughs> and bowl a bit, isn't that the same thing? And they just had no understanding of the fact that not only had Swan just developed his game as a bowler first and foremost for years. But he was also just kind of just on another level compared to every other spinner in the country at the time. The interesting thing is, when you talk about them not having a contingency, I remember talking to Swanee about his elbow, and I was basically saying to him that no test team had ever played as much as England had. 
and that his elbow is a direct correlation with how many test matches that England played. And he said, you might be right, but I would say this, that my elbow was pretty much stuffed by the time I got to test cricket. Now, if that's the case, there's no way that England would not have known that. They would have known 100% that that was the case. So that puts your sort of contingency thing even more front and centre. And then the next thing that they do is, so the next major player that they develop is Moen Ali. Now, Moen Ali is a brilliant wicket taker at test level. But what he is not in any way is someone who can dry up runs. In fact, most of his runs seem to come from the fact that almost everyone in international cricket thinks they should be able to hit him for six. And they certainly want to do that. So what they did was they put a very, what I would call an extremely high functioning, I don't want to say part-timer because that is unfair to him, but a very high functioning semi-professional bowler (laughs) into the role of being a frontline bowler. And he gets wickets, but he does go for runs. But it was quite clear from the beginning that his bowling was never quite strong enough and his batting was never quite strong enough for test level. But the entire package kind of worked, but everything had to function perfectly around him. And when everything functioned perfectly around Moeen Ali, England looked like a very good team. The minute that didn't happen, England looked like a terrible team where they suddenly had a weakness with the ball and sometimes an extra weakness with the bat. And again, it was going back to what you are talking about before of they thought that Moen Ali was like Graham Swan, but I think you and I will both know that it was not a like for like, and it was a, what's the best way of putting it, almost a stopgap. He was only ever going to be so good because he was learning to be a test bowler, playing as a test bowler, compared to Graham Swan, who spent eight years preparing to be a test bowler. Yeah, well, I mean, when Moen Ali came to the side, he was a batsman. I don't think it's unfair to say at the time he was a part-time spinner. I mean, he's playing for Worcester. I can't remember who else was playing for Worcester at the time. They, they, he might have been, you know, with maybe a bit of Oliveira, you know, the, kind of the makeup spinners in, in what was already becoming a very pace-centric England first-class system. But he very much was a, a part-timer, and they clearly identified him as someone they like because he bats and fields, and then we'll just build his bowling in the same way they try and build wicket keepers out of batsmen. Go back to that India tour of 16-17 and the Bangladesh tour. He went at fours, four and a half. He took wickets, at mm. point, but he, he was going for so many runs that it was almost nullifying the wickets he was taking. And the problem I had with Moen Ali was that when he was good, he was so good. As a number eight, he was actually a really good number eight. I mm. remember it was 2013, he absolutely hammered Australia all over the place. But when he was bad he was so bad and there was no real middle ground for that there was no kind of oh he's kind of doing okay it's either he's really really poor or he's really really good but when he was good he tended to win the series for England. i remember mm. when india came over he'd been dropped when scored double hundred against the auction just came in and absolutely ruined india but the rest of the time he would, he would generally just be quite easy to score against and again looking from the outside we don't necessarily know what's going on internally but he looked at someone who had a chronic lack of self-confidence, which wasn't helped by England just going like, well, you are the person who we are going to throw into roles. that We're not going to give you any definition. Mm. You're going to bat three here. You're going to bat eight here. You're going to be a frontline spinner here. Then bringing Liam Dawson in against South Africa, just so they could call Moen Ali a second spinner because that made him feel better. I mean, he just never seemed to have the confidence in his own game, possibly because he's playing as a bowler when he's been a batsman his entire career. And the results were this, you know, exactly what you expect. It's really mixed performance yeah. and and a really kind of almost low ceiling of how good he could get. That could never really be kind of rectified 
because you know the ECB have like a responsibility for that, but so does he. You know, he has, mm. it's it's not all the ECB's fault that you know he couldn't quite get. It. If if you compare him to Don Bess, right, he has a much higher ceiling than Don Bess, mm. but he probably has a much lower basement, and that was the player he was, and that's what I was sort of getting back to before, which is if the England team was fully functioning around him, that's okay. Yeah, that'd be like if Australia had a good five batsmen then Glenn Maxwell at six is a, a very good bet for them. If they know their top five are very good, and maybe even their, and their number seven is very good, Glenn Maxwell is very good. You know that there are going to be times when it doesn't work, but you also know that he's going to win series with the bat, occasionally with the ball, occasionally in the field. But you know he's going to completely disappear. And Moeen Ali was very much in that sort of level of when it absolutely works, he's going to make 120 batting with the tail against top quality bowlers. I mean, I'll tell you a, a story about him. I was helping Bangalore when he went to Bangalore. And they were sort of saying, you know, give us players that we probably wouldn't have thought of. And I was like, well, I mean, from a T20 perspective, Moen Ali would be like my first pick because for some reason, people around the world haven't thought of him as a T20 player, but I've seen him play for Worcester. We know he can hit test bowlers over the head for six and he's a wicket taker. So you can bat him kind of anywhere in your top six if you want in a T20 game. And more often than not, he's going to get his four overs in. And they were saying, oh, Virat absolutely loves him. He's a huge fan. Now, if Virat Kohli thinks you're a talent, right? And this is a little bit like you're dating someone who's more attractive than you and they keep telling you how attractive you are and you can't handle it. There's a bit of that there. I get that. But if Virat Kohli thinks an English off spinner (laughs) is that talented, you can understand then the, the levels of which Moen Ali can get to. But also the other side of that is if Moen Ali has spent an entire career not thinking he's a spinner and thinking he's a top order batsman, suddenly he gets to England, as you said, he batted everywhere, which is part of the problem. There's a reason he wasn't playing as a test match batsman beforehand, because he does have weaknesses when it comes to test match bowling. You're then telling him he's frontline spinner. Then, as you said, you're then trying to play it down and say, no, you're a secondary spinner, which must also play with his head, even if he wanted it. It's an incredible situation to put a player in, and his record kind of shows that. It has incredible high highs, winning high series, and it has moments where you're just like, he should not be playing in this test, and he needs a break. And eventually, he did break, didn't he? So all of that makes sense. The interesting thing is that that's not the only gamble that they sort of made. I don't think Samit Patel, Liam Dawson, Zaf Ansari are particularly gambles. But let's not forget that they picked my good friend Gareth Batty Bats must have been 55. I mean, he's a very fit 55, but he was a very old guy. I don't think anyone was more shocked at his call-up than him. You would still argue that he was probably close to the best off-spinner in the country. There's almost a bit of Tim Payne about it, where eventually they came back around and went, do you know what? He might just be the best finger spinner in the country. <laughs> but if that was the case, he'd been the best finger spinner in the country for quite some time. I mean, the thing about Gareth Batty is like, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He's, you know, In terms of his performance, in terms of his stats, he was, he was always up there. But at, what, 37, 38, 39, he was only going down at that point. You know, if you picked him when he was 30, maybe, but England didn't think he was good enough when he was like 25, 26, and then just didn't pay any attention to him. And then suddenly go, oh, you know, they said, we're going to take him as like a player coach. Kind I know. Of thing. He's going to help the other spinners. Like, why are you taking Sackley and Mushtak then, A? <laughs> and B, he's being carted all over the place in Bangladesh and India. How is he going to have the confidence to go up to Mo and Ali and go, um, you know, I, th- I actually think you should be bowling like this, when he, even his own bowling is not working in those conditions? It, it, I, it, I see what you're saying there. I will say that 
Bats does not lack for confidence when it comes to spin bowling. Oh, I think, absolutely. <laughs> so I think he still would have gone up to, but I do know what you mean. Like mm. they weren't picking him because he had conquered India before and yeah. you had Saklan Mushtaq in and around the squad available to Who them. Who also too. had a really good effect on Moin and Rashid, so they say. And then when he left, they just fell apart completely, even more. When I was working with St. Lucia, I, I, having seen him work with the England spinners, I wanted him to come and work with some of the spinners mm. in St. Lucia, guys like Rakeem Cornwall and Kevin Hodge, who's going to Bangladesh very soon, actually. For that very reason, like I knew what he could do. But also, you know, if I ever become a general manager or in player development again, I would probably also hire someone like Bats. Bats speaks mm. about spin bowling in a way that I've never heard anyone be able to communicate it to laymen. So if he could communicate that to a layman, I can only imagine what higher level he's speaking to spinners. But regardless of all that, he was quite clearly a very quality bowler throughout his 30s. We talked about that Jack Leach thing before. You could have used him in that kind of secondary role. They kept going back to Monty Panesar at times when it was quite clear that that was gone. Yeah, There were other ways to bring in um, someone like Bats before. So to suddenly bring him back, there was that kind of panic part of it. But the other big part that you talk about, and this is a spinner I'm always obsessed with, and yet I always forget his name. And I'm so glad that I've read your piece again today, and so I won't forget his name. But Oli Rayner, mm. I see a lot of um, – uh, wait, who did – I was about to say he played for Middlesex. Who's the Middlesex spinner that I'm getting confused with now? Adam Riley. I'm hoping that's who I meant. Oli Rayner and Adam Riley. He was certainly on the, the England radar for like a year. Those are the two that I always forget. For about a couple of years, I saw a lot of them bowling. Mm. Can't play their games down at Beckenham, not far from where I live. I happen to be at a lot of Middlesex games. So I, I saw those guys play a lot. And I was thinking that there is a lot of talent between those two. I wasn't sure if either of them were test match bowlers, but you could see there was something there that could be developed. It's quite interesting to me that neither of them sort of went on. And you talk about Oli Rayner directly here. When Oli Rayner basically says that if he had any advice for a young England hopeful with a spin, it would be learn to bat. Yeah, genuinely, yeah. Like for two years, he was a really good off-spin. I think the problem was he didn't come through age groups. And so he didn't spend a lot of time as like, oh, here's a real spin talent. It was just like for two years at Middlesex, he was really, really good. But you could kind of see his point with how England select over the past 10 years that there's almost a sense that they don't necessarily pick spin bowlers for their spin bowling. Mm. And in that, people like Riley, who was kind of on the radar for a little bit, and Rayner, who could bat a little, but wasn't you know going to score you 50 every now and then in Test Match Cricket, kind of were never really that close mm. in the way that, again, you, know, you talk about someone like Samit Patel, I think England had a lot of hope for, but... Andy Flower really didn't like the fact that his body shape wasn't like this thin, chiselled, Anson-esque, you know, kind of a donor. He, I don't think he was ever unfit when he played for England. And I say this as a fat guy. He always <laughs> seemed like someone who just had this really big body shape. But, you know, he could get through a game of cricket without issue, without looking like he was about to die. No, definitely. I think with Samet, there's always baggage with Samet. There's a lot of stuff that has not come out about him mm. from when he was younger. Two really interesting things, actually, you've just said, because you you talked about the age group stuff coming through age group cricket, which he did, which is one thing. The other thing is that England cricket has not been very good over the last, what, seven, eight years of dealing with slightly difficult characters, characters who do not fit in, whether it's Compo or KP. Carberry, I suppose, is another one. And I, Mm. I I don't mean difficult as in that they're terrible people, and I don't mean difficult as in there's something wrong with them. I mean that... They don't fit into a certain culture that England are at least optically putting out. Yeah, for whatever reason that is, maybe they speak up too much, you know, Mm. or maybe they're too confident when they haven't already taken 
700 test wickets or what do you know what i mean whatever yeah, it is it hasn't yeah. quite fitted in and there are other players that have done that and obviously kp's book and then trotty's book mm. brings out that sort of stuff i think for samit patel he certainly fits into that mold now the body size also plays into it but the other thing that you it's mentioned, also worth pointing out that he is a batsman yeah but we're talking about him as a spin he just happened to take five for in a one day international ones I'm but he was sure. a genuinely good batsman and if you listen to him talk about his spin bowling i don't think even mm. he thinks of himself again as a bowler which is yeah. another sort of a level that we're talking about on top of all this the other thing is and the Oli rayner situation is a perfect thing of england has basically set up a system where they don't think county cricket is important anymore mm. which i completely understand to a certain level but it, what it means is that they think that they can pick up players from the age of 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. What I am saying is that players don't develop in that natural curve all the time. Yeah. And what you can do, in if you trust that system so much, I mean, you, you see this in professional sports around the world. The guy who at 26 or 27 finally gets a break and breaks through, they have managed to develop their play in a completely different way. I mean, I think if Oli Rayner was good enough, he'd still be tearing it up. But I think as a general rule, spinners can develop very differently mm. to pace bowlers. Like you will, I think you want to pick a pace bowler when they're 21, 22, if you think they have future test match potential. And also because in the system, they're more likely to be protected than necessarily in county cricket. When you talk about fast bowlers, you can basically control their career yeah. in a way they've probably done with Ollie Stone at the moment. Perfect example of mm. that. I think you're right. And I think that with spin bowlers, we know they develop later and in a different way. I'm not sure you can always tell at 18 if someone is going to be a great test-level spin bowler at 30. And I say that based on the many, many quality 18-year-old leg spinners I've seen over the years who by 21 weren't bowling anymore. Finger yeah. spins may be slightly different again, but there is a lot to learn there. So I think that all those sort of things play in. When I watch Don Bess, he has technical flaws within his bowling, of which a 30-year-old off-spinner who is of test quality would not have. He bowls past the perpendicular, which I don't know how much of a spin bowling nerd you are, but it basically means his arm goes too close to his ear at times, which changes the way he bowls. And I think he's going to have to learn how to drop his arm slightly lower. And I hope that makes sense on a podcast. Now I need Gareth Batty here. The, the last test match was a perfect example of that in that Joe Root bowls with this kind of almost slingy action, not quite mm. as bad as like Kitty Adev, but he's not really high and tall. And he was getting a bit more out of the pitch than someone like Don Best, who is, like you say, past the perpendicular. He's kind of past that 12 o'clock mark, which the result of often is that the seam position he gets is a bit off. You mm. don't get that really nice seam, say, to the left-hander to first slip or something. And I think that was a really perfect contrast for anyone who's kind of like, going, what are they talking about? If you just remember that test, and possibly look at the second test as well against Sri Lanka, you will see the contrast between someone like Bess and Root, if only in their technique and the fact that Root kind of gets that little bit more because he's a like, little bit more round arm, he's that mm. little, a bit lower. So yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right about Bess, but I think you know for anyone who's kind of struggling with the terminology, there's a really v interesting visual contrast between those two. And you can try and like extrapolate that to Jack Leach as well, but it's obviously a bit difficult when they're, he's a left armer. But. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to bring it back to Jack Leach because mm. Bess is Leach's backup at Somerset, so much so yeah. that he had to go to other... I mean, he moved to Yorkshire now, hasn't he? Yorkshire can't make a spinner, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, they had one, to be fair, and it sounds like they annoyed him with other yeah. things. <laughs> so they can't develop a white spinner, which is apparently the only type of spinner that's acceptable to them. <laughs> I'm glad that you filled in the <laughs> second part of that. but And also, because I was also thinking you meant white ball for a minute, and then I worked out what you were saying. So... <laughs> So you certainly got that part to Don Bess. 
But there's also, and I think you mentioned it in the piece again, you talk about Sam Curran a mm. little bit here, and you talk about the fact that Ben Stokes, Sam Curran, Chris Wokes, three quality bowling all-rounders, sorry, Stokes' case probably more of a batting all-rounder, but either way, you've got guys who can bowl very fast, good quality, and whatever, Chris Wokes, are com- almost a combination of those two things there, all of which you can bat. Even Stokes has a limitation on his batting. Obviously, um, Sam Curran has a limitation, and, and Chris Wokes does, but they're Incredible players. Ben Stokes, no-brainer. You don't have to worry about it. Chris Wokes, you had to bring him along a little bit more, but England always knew that he was going to be good in England, and hopefully mm. they hope one day he'll be good away from home. I mean, he's, he's certainly improved. I think when they played in South Africa, he looked brilliant. And I know it's not the worst conditions, but they were talking about like that test match he played back in whenever, when he was averaging 60-odd overseas. The contrast was huge. So it, it's coming on, isn't he? He's, coming, he's <laughs> a smart cricketer, and I think he'll work it yeah. out. Sam Curran exploded straight away. I think that England are better suited as a cricket culture to grow all-rounders through county cricket and through the way that they develop cricketers who are seam bowlers. And there's no doubt that it is easy to manufacture a all-rounder who can bowl spin in a way that you can find a batsman. You can find If you've got allowed Mark War or Marcus North or Carl Hooper to bowl consistently, they will end up, I think Carl Hooper has the worst bowling average of any test match bowler with over 100 wickets or whatever his rate is. But the truth is that Carl Hooper actually did his job for the West Indies over and over again and occasionally took wickets as well. And his job was really to bowl between 20 and 30 overs in the tough innings when they needed it, rest their quick bowlers and allow them to rotate. And he bowled good enough that you couldn't smash him out the park all the time. Mark Ward did a similar job. Marcus North did a similar job. We know that... Finger spin, I call it cricket's rubbish skill. If you can find a batsman who has a little bit of skill, like Moen Ali or Samit Patel, you can get them to bowl enough and they'll be smart enough to be able to handle it. The problem is taking it to that next level of having them of the ability of Sam Curran, of Ben Stokes, of Chris Wokes. Doesn't seem like England has that availability to them, probably because of the culture of English cricket as much as anything. And also because you are with Liam Dawson, and I've watched Liam Dawson. I moved to the UK and saw him play six games within the space of about a month. I've been obsessed with Liam Dawson from that moment forward. At no stage did I ever go, that is a frontline bowler, right? It takes you two minutes to look at Sam Curran or Ben Stokes or Chris Wokes and go, they are frontline bowlers who have other Mm. skills. England are trying to manufacture these spinners from what is a very low base to begin with compared to what they're doing with the seam bowlers, which is a very high base. Yeah, I mean, Liam Dawson's really interesting because I think I often have these thoughts about like other eras. I think it's a lot about Chris Jordan. I think Chris Jordan's an 80-test bowler in another era. In that kind of post-Ashley Giles period, I think Liam Dawson is an easy pick for England because they're so pace-centric. If he were a medium pace bowler with his stats which is 33 with the bat and like 35 with the ball he'd be everywhere for England but because he's a spinner and because he's you know he's he's an all right spinner he's not great but he's not awful at all he did a really good job in India when he was thrown in after you know the panic didn't work he's played like five white ball games for England and that's it it's kind of almost surprising when you look at someone like him who's kind of the right age he's got Exactly the sort of skills you think England love because he's, you know, he's a number. I think he bats like six for Hampshire and he's a really good fielder. He might bat higher. I mean, I, I think in limited overs, he certainly comes up higher. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, 
he's exactly the sort of package that England keeps saying that's the sort of person we want, but he's just not played. You yeah. know, he was he was used as this tool to kind of try and help Mo and Ali's chronic lack of self-confidence. But you're right, if you look at the spinners in the system at the moment, I think there's about four who are playing regularly and are over 25, one of whom is Liam Dawson. The gap between this looks like a promising young spinner and where they end up when they're 30 is so huge in England. You know, they're, they're not nurtured. You know, you look at someone like Scott Borthwick, who is, you look at that and go, he's not a great leg spinner, but there's something there. You know, he could be a really good all-rounder. He's a number three batsman and he barely bowls. I think that's a failure of the system, frankly. Your piece is sort of comes hmm. to that at the end. I should say that piece started as like a celebration of spin. <laughs> it was like all about like, oh. isn't English spin great? Let's talk about Ashley Giles. Let's talk about Graham Swan. And then over the course of a year, because it, it, I kept believing it, but it just became this like, oh God, it's like spin. It's just horrible being a spinner. <laughs> <in English. laughs> like, so I've got this big theory, and I think I might have mentioned it on an earlier episode about Ray Price. So... Mm. Love Ray Price. Yeah, <laughs> like, who, who doesn't love Ray Price? If you look at yeah. Ray Price, Ashley Giles, Michael Beer, Paul Harris, there's a bunch of them out there. These are big, strong guys who bowl spin in a particular way, and they bowl spin absolutely nothing like anyone in the subcontinent bowl spin. Even mm. Monty Panesar, if you look at the way he bowls, there's almost a more of a Western style to mm. it, in that Monty's actually quite a big, stronger character. Sorry, I shouldn't say character, but physically. He wants, yeah. to be the, he wants to be one of the best five journalists in the UK, he said the other day. But that, <laughs> by and by. But he's you know, a big, strong guy. And again, he's hard to pull. You hear this a lot. You hear that Michael Beer was hard to pull, that Ray Price was hard to pull, that Ashley Giles was impossible to pull. You hear all these sorts of things. And Monty was certainly one of those. You know, I can't remember ever hearing that Murali Kartik was hard to pull or that Harvajan Singh was hard to pull. And I think that we have to now think about spin in a completely different way. There is a Western style of spin and there is the subcontinental style of spin. And they are completely two separate art forms. That doesn't mean that you won't get a spinner in Australia or New Zealand or South Africa or England that is more in that Western style. There is a reason why those sorts of guys are coming through the system and ending up as test quality bowlers and uh, you know frontline bowlers. And that has to be a conditions-based thing. And I think that, that we have to factor that in a lot more than we possibly do when we talk about English spinners, which is we know that spinners involve very much in county cricket. I think Tim Wigmore might have just written a piece about this within the last 24 hours, which I have not read. I'm sure it's great, Wigmore. We know that it's not bold as much in county cricket. We know that the spinners are fundamentally different. And I think we have to take that sort of mind frame in, which in that particular case then, that's kind of why I think that Adam Bess and Jack Leach could work almost perfectly together if you use them both when they're both suited to the conditions. If it is a flatter pitch and there's left-handers in the team, then Dom Bess, it makes perfect sense in that particular thing. And the opposite then of that case is if the pitch is absolutely ragging or is going to be helpful or there's a bunch of right-handers, you use Jack Leach. Don't pretend that you are making perfect spinners that can play in all formats because I think your article has proved <laughs> beyond a shadow of a doubt that that has not been the case. You're right about Liam Dawson. You're probably right about Samit Patel. And there's probably other spinners that they could have developed further. But when it comes down to it, since Graham Swan, there has not been an all-surfaces perfect spinner that England has created. And that's because they don't create those kind of bowlers. My feeling is that whatever the configuration, whoever plays, your two spinners going forward are Leach and Bess. There may be others that develop, but currently on the current number of spinners in the system that are ready and that are possibly test standard, you're going forward with Leach and Bess. And as you say, you know, I think England needs to own up to the fact that their 
really kind of doing spin a disservice. Because when they do that, they can then start planning for how they're going to use the spinners that they have. I think a really good example is Matt Parkinson, who went to New Zealand as backup to Jack Leach. And everybody in like the skybox go, he's too slow. He bowls 45 miles an hour. He's too slow. And so when Jack Leach comes down with sepsis, you think, right, well, this Matt Parkinson has to play, surely. They've got to pick some sort of spinner on these dead pitches to put in some overs, and they don't pick it. And until he's picked for Sri Lanka in these list of reserves with Mason Crane and Amir Verdi, two other very young spinners, he's not really heard from. They, they don't even talk about him. And yet all they keep saying is, like, we need a leg spinner. England cricket, Sky commentators, pundits, they're obsessed with this idea that when you go to Australia, you have to have a leg spinner. And that's Australia's fault. <laughs> Destroyed us with Shane Ward for so long. We had two. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. We're obsessed with spinners. We're obsessed with the keeper that averages 40. Well, apart from a little experiment with Bo Casson and Bryce McGain, Australia have just picked finger spinners. Australia have had two leg spinners in 50 years. Well, well Cameron White and Steve Smith don't really count, frankly. Talk but, about people who played over five tests. They yeah, had but, two leg spinners in 50 years. So yeah. you can't say that you need leg spinners to win in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Nathan Lyon is probably one of the best spinners in the world ever, currently, on current stat, at least. He's a really good spinner. He's an off spinner. He doesn't really do anything particularly special with the ball. He's just a very good, solid off spinner. I remember when he was picked, like Michael Clark had no idea what to do with him, had no idea what, how to use him. And then they picked Beer, Xavier Doherty, mm -hmm. and Ashton Agar before they came back to him. Nathan Lyon, just to add to your point, Nathan mm. Lyon took an eight wicket haul in India. Yeah. Didn't play the following test. Well, to be fair, Jason Crazier took like an eight wicket haul in India. Didn't he? Well, so. he took 12 in the match, Crazier. Yeah. But he played the following <laughs> test. But I suppose mm. that all comes back to your overall arching thing. And I think it's very interesting. And we've been that England cricket is probably the most professional cricket team we have at the international level. I think this is something they really need to understand is that they fundamentally don't get spin ball. Mm. And that is essentially what your piece is saying, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, another conversation that was in that piece, I think I might have ended up cutting, is the fact that. England, probably are one of the best resourced cricket nations in the world. India have a lot of players as well, but England have a lot of players compared to Australia, New Zealand, and, 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 and you know even someone like Sri Lanka. They have so many players. And I think that really kind of, they tend to have this, like, even though they're sitting there going like, first class cricket doesn't matter, we'll just put them in the Lions and hope for the best. They still have this idea that like, we've got hundreds of other cricketers that we can pick from if someone doesn't work. So they don't really kind of take the time to develop a player because there's just so many waiting in the wings. Where if you look at, again, like I think a really great example from New Zealand is Henry Nichols, who, when he came in, I looked at him and I thought, he looks awful. In Test Creek, he looks kind of rubbish. He's probably one of the better batsmen in the world now, because they stuck with him and they kept giving him these opportunities to play. And he looks really good. England don't do that. They kind of just go like, oh, it's been a couple of tests. They're not really doing it. We'll just pick someone else, because we've got so many other players that are waiting. And I think that's really worked against them. And it's really being shown in in spin when, you know, you've got one county that's producing spinners and that's it. 12 spinners in eight years <laughs> because they keep just going, well, just pick someone else, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, as a spectator, it's very frustrating. And we could go back to that original point about Jack Leach in 2018. That should have been like a moment for English cricket where they go, wow, actually, there's a good spinner here. Maybe we can make good spinners. And then two years later, he's playing his first test match in, you know, since the end of 2019. So... Big thank you to Somerset, the, the oh, county God, yeah. who produces spinners. And <laughs> Somerset, who are going into 2021 docked points, I think, 
because they produce spinning pitches. It seems a bit harsh. Like you produce two test quality spinners as far as we're concerned, but we're going to dock your points because you need to stop doing that. You'd think the best thing to do would just be go like, right, you are like a spin center for England now. We're going to send young spinners to you because you've got the pitches for it. But yeah, huge thanks to Somerset because otherwise, like who the fuck knows who we'd be playing in Sri Lanka? You know, they probably would have just kidnapped Adil Rashid and just thrown him and go like, we don't care about your shoulder you're playing because we don't have anyone else. So yeah, Somerset, thanks so much because as someone who actually enjoys watching spin bowling, without you, I just, I just wouldn't have any reason to watch England probably at the moment. <laughs> Big thank you to you for coming on to the podcast. Oh, no problem. Thank you for listening. There are links to works by my guests in the show notes. Please review this show on Apple Podcasts or on any podcasting platform you have access to. This show is made possible by the people who support us on Patreon. So thank you all to those who do. If you want to hear more Red Inker episodes and you have available funds, please help us out on Patreon, which you can find the link also in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston is the producer. He looks after your ears. And the theme tune is called The Prisoners by the Red Crickets. Podcast Network.